can tell this organization is committed to winning. The Broncos, they do have incredible fans that love this team, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Another takeaway for this Denver defense, and 58 is right in the middle of all of it. Wow! Touchdown, Denver! Unbelievable! Oh my goodness, what a play! Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for clicking on Mile High Magic. Glad to be back with you alongside my partner, Nikki Javala. I am Michael Spencer. We have a jam-packed show for you today. A lots to get to as we preview what the Broncos might do in the draft. We're going to be joined by the Athletics' Dane Brugler, who has uh, the beast, as it is called. I mean, it is the most in-depth, comprehensive draft coverage that you can find. It is available on The Athletic. All sorts of good stuff. I had a very, very good conversation with him, which you will hear in just a couple minutes. But Nikki, let's first start with what we heard from John Elway on Monday this week. He met with the media via Zoom. He was very very pink um but uh <laughs> <laughs> he was the, vir- the, the virtual video didn't come across as uh as no. nicely as i think the broncos would have liked it to uh but such is the world nice that we're living in. halo around them. Yeah. yeah yeah he had a nice little uh virtual halo it was interesting so hopefully they'll get that squared away so that all the draft picks don't look pink on thursday and friday and saturday um but he had <laughs> he had a couple interesting things uh to take away and obviously everybody kind of adjusting to this new virtual virtual draft setup. They they did a mock draft on Monday uh, just before Elway talked to us. Uh, there were a couple hiccups by all accounts, um, but this is kind of the world they're living in. And so come Thursday, it's, it's do or die, basically. I mean, this is what's going to happen. Yep. They better get used to it. There's no <laughs> way around it. Um, it's, I mean, it, I, I think the end of the draft and especially college free agency uh, and trying to get all those guys signed, trying to get everybody on the same page on who they want to get, I think that's going to be the most difficult part out of all of this because at the end of the draft, I mean, you have a lot of guys that you don't have a ton of information on because they didn't get a lot of medicals on these guys. Um, you know, if most of these didn't go to the combine, they didn't get any top 30 visits. Many of them had pro days canceled. So um, they're going to be relying heavily on their area scouts and the information they do have. And unfortunately for the prospects, if, if there's kind of a close call between some guys on their boards, you know, they, they could just end up going with the guy they have a little bit more information on as opposed to the guy that may be a better fit for them or a better overall prospect. So um, I think this this draft is going to be interesting. I also think it's going to have ripple effects for next year with scouts pulled, on the, pulled off the road for so long. Um but you just hope they can get through these these next few days without any major hiccups. And um, yeah, it's I'm still waiting for the first coach or executive to like screw up and like not mute his line or something. Or somebody or, goes over their know. time, you know, yeah, and all of a yeah. sudden the team behind them is rushing yeah. to get their pick in. Yeah. No, yeah. there's gonna be, gonna be the, there's gonna be something, right? It just feels like oh, there yeah. has to be some sort of screw up. Absolutely. And now the question is, wait. what's it going to be? be yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's going to be awesome, uh, which is easy for us to say because <laughs> we're not involved in the actual pick process mm-hmm. here. Um, I do think it'll be interesting to see kind of what it does to the process of the draft. I tend to believe there will be fewer trades, especially in the first round on the first day as everybody's kind of feeling this thing out. Um, and I tend to think that it will go 
more to script than than maybe normal um, in terms of teams who pick players. And, you know, I know one GM said, oh, the, all the mock drafts are way off this year, whatever, like they were going to say. That They're always exactly, off. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I think they might be actually be closer this year because I think teams – Given the fact that they weren't able to bring anybody in, given the fact that so many pro days were canceled, I think they will follow more of a basic script in the first round than maybe they would have Mm -hmm. in years past. And maybe play it more conservatively. I think it's the medical part is going to be really interesting on how they handle that. I mean, as Zoe said on the on the conference call, on some guys you might have to just take a leap of faith. Like if there's a corner you really like, I really like Bryce Hall from Virginia. Um, he's coming back from significant surgery. I mean, LaVisca Chenault, you know, he's coming back from core muscle surgery. Not all these teams have been able to do medicals on them because of the elimination of top 30 visits. Um, so it's, that's going to be really hard for GMs, um, I think. And it's, you know, how much do you trust your medical team? Mm-hmm. That was something that Dane really emphasized during our interview with him. So... There's going to be a lot of what-ifs in this draft, and I agree with you. I think there are going to be fewer trades, especially on day one. But once they get comfortable, I'm curious if it becomes more active in day two, day three. I also think that there's an opportunity for more busts in this draft than maybe Mm -hmm. in past years. Maybe not in round one, but in Mm -hmm. rounds like two through five. And then all of a sudden you're sitting there and and here's a guy who, yeah, you have some tape on. Maybe you talked to him during the pre-draft process, but maybe you weren't able to bring him in, right? You weren't able to bring him in. And so you weren't able to really get a feel for him. So you swing and and you miss. And you can't tell a guy's character over Zoom, you know, as much as you would be able to if you got him face-to-face and had an actual conversation with him. It's much different. You get a much different feel when you actually meet somebody opposed to just seeing their relationship profile, so to speak, you know? And so I think that in my mind, I think there's an opportunity for there to be more busts in this draft um, than there have been in past years. And there's a lot at stake for the Broncos. I mean, you asked John Elway, what were some of the most important character traits that they found in players from the last two drafts that they can carry over to 2020. Um, and the biggest one he said is, is, you know, leadership and, you know, the guy's character. He, he admitted, you know, a lot, some of his misses in previous years were because of character mm-hmm. concerns. And after three losing seasons, you need the right kind of guys to lead you out of the tough time. And if they're not certain on these players and who they really are, I think it could really affect them. And this is, you know, they, they've got like a base layer of, you know, some really solid talent, um, young talent on this team. But if they don't knock this draft out of the park, they're still going to be in sort of rebuild, remake, whatever you want to call it, mode for years to come. I mean, they're they're still making up for a lot of the misses of past years. Um, so this this is a hugely important draft for them and you know there's with all the missing information it's you know they're gonna have to take some risks and it's just the way it is unfortunately and part of the reason i asked that question to Elway and i said hey look are there characteristics that you can point to from 2018 and 2019 because i think everybody agrees those were two pretty good draft classes are there characteristics that you can point to 
to say, hey, these are the type of guys we want to bring in in 2020. And he, as you mentioned, you know, pointed to those leadership characteristics. And you think about, I think it was 2018, the year that they uh, coached in the Senior Bowl. And I think like every single one, with the exception of one of their picks, was a team captain the year before. You know, and, and so you're thinking about Bradley Chubb and Cortland Sutton and the impact that those guys have had. And then you go with Drew Locke and Dalton Reisner and Noah Fan and the impact that those guys have had as rookies. And, and you expect expect them to continue to have those type of roles, right? Those type of not only quality players, but quality people roles. And and that's what they didn't have in 2016 and 2017 when you're looking at guys like Carlos Henderson and, you know, Brendan Langley, who was probably more out of position than he was a bad uh, a bad character. Mm-hmm. Paxton Lynch, mm-hmm. you know, the, the leadership qualities weren't there. I mean, Nikki, I remember talking to guys in the locker room and I can't tell you how many times it came up. Who's the leader on the offensive side of the football? Right. Mm -hmm. After Peyton Manning left, after Demarcus Ware left, it seemed like Vaughn stood up and and was kind of the leader now in that in that defensive room. And to be honest, I think it took him a while to assume that role. But on the offensive side, we were all wondering, who's the leader on this side of the football? And to be honest, nobody on the team had a really good answer for that question. And that was a problem. Right. They not only lacked leadership, but there was a lot of infighting, Mm -hmm. too. I mean, the defense hated the offense. You know, the offensive line resented others on the offense. Um, There were a lot of issues, and that's where you really need guys like Peyton and DeMarcus, and you can't really replicate either of them. Um, But you need guys who are willing to step up and have shown enough to, you know, be able to. I mean, a, a rookie can't just get up there if they've done nothing. And, you know, guys that they brought in at quarterback, you know, they don't really know these yeah. guys. Joe Flacco, Case Keenum. I mean, it's it's kind of a lot to expect to ask them to step in and instantly become this leader that they've been missing because they don't know these guys. They're the new guys. Um, but I think with Drew Locke having that season, the team se- seems to really respect him. Um, I think he showed a lot with that four and one finish. Um, not saying he's going to be, you know, the Peyton Manning type of leader, but there's a respect level there, um, and he at least has some stuff on tape um, to show that he's you know, not only got the potential, but he's accomplished some things. Um, and I think he just has like the right personality. He's got the charisma that guys kind of gravitate toward. Um, but still, it's like I don't, I don't know who that one guy is on offense who's the leader. Perhaps it becomes like, an offensive lineman, mm-hmm. you know, Graham Glasgow, Juwan James, they're not usually ones that are super vocal. Um, maybe it's Philip Lindsay in year three. Um, Melvin Gordon's oddly one of the oldest players on the roster, <laughs> but he's also the new guy. So they're going to have to figure that out. But I think right now they have some really good pieces and going into the draft, they have the means to, add a number of others. Well, and that's what's nice is they have they have some options, right? Like there are guys who you feel like mm-hmm. can step up into the leadership role. And I think what you hit on earlier with the quarterbacks and their rotating door of quarterbacks, they know Drew Locke. They've gotten to know him mm-hmm. inside that locker room for the last year. Yeah, they only played with him five times, but they got to know him that whole year. Mm-hmm. He was in that locker room. He wasn't in practice because he couldn't be because of IR, but he was there. And so they know this guy. So there's not that learning curve, you know, heading mm-hmm. into this season like there was with Case Keenum like there was with Joe Flacco, where you're just trying to figure out what's this guy all about, right? Like, what what is this dude like in the locker room? They don't have that, and I think that will be huge. I'm not saying you can't compare anybody to Peyton Manning from a leadership perspective. Right, right. 
but the opportunity for them to grow together, right? And and for these guys now, that class of 2018, that class of 2019, to know each other and to set that foundation in that locker room that really has been missing, I think can go a long way for them. Mm-hmm. That continuity is important. I mean, yes. like you said, they've been missing that with a quarterback. They've had how many offensive coordinators? Um, they need that. And, you know, even if they change systems, like you said, this is a core group. From the offensive line on down, I mean, these are young guys who you would hope can stay together for quite some time. And to me, it's it just kind of shows that this is the first time in a long time that the Broncos have really made an effort to build around their quarterback, you know, kind of taking a page from the Ravens and, and really getting an offensive coordinator whose system fits his skill set and then spending, like investing in the offensive line for once. And um, bringing in another playmaker in Bel- Melvin Gordon. Um, you could argue that they had one in Philip Lindsay, but that's besides the point. And now really chasing, you know, another receiver possibly in the draft to pair with Cortland Sutton. I mean, if they get, you know, one of the top receivers in the first round, they're going to have an offense that features Drew Locke, you know, that receiver in Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, Melvin Gordon, and Philip Lindsay. I mean, suddenly this this offense looks pretty legit. And as you mentioned, Nikki, I mean, they have the opportunity to add more pieces in this draft, whether it be on offense. I think they're certainly going to lean that way. And uh, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, we have the opportunity to talk to Dane Brugler today, uh, who has uh, the beast out on the athletic, had a great conversation with him. And I want to play that for you now. We're joined now by Dane Brugler, the athletic's always awesome draft analyst um, recently came out with his annual beast. How many pages is it, Dane? It's like 420 reports, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, 246, I think. Uh, 250,000 words uh, or, oh. or 34% of the Bible. So, uh, wow. So you've been busy. Up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It's, you know, it's the, but this is, this is my time. I, I enjoy this. So uh, I'm glad I'm just able to, to share it with everybody. You start doing this in June, you said, right? I mean, how do you pare down the list to... I think it was like 450 or so prospects you had listed. Yeah, it's it's definitely a process. Uh, it starts in the summer where looking at all the seniors and the upcoming class. And then throughout the season, there obviously things change. Uh, but we get all the updated tape. And then that goes into the draft season with the all-star circuit, the combine and workouts. Uh, this year obviously being a little different. But, uh, you know, it's just it's constant communication between uh, between teams, um, people around the league uh, watching tape. So I'm either in front of my computer watching tape or I'm on the phone uh, texting, calling, and just trying to figure all these guys out because uh, all these guys have different backgrounds. Uh, and that's my favorite part is learning about where each guy comes from, uh, the process that to get to this point where they're on the NFL's doorstep. And I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, and it, it helps us, uh, you know, where they've been and kind of tells us where they're headed in a lot of uh, situations. So it's, it's a lot of fun to do it. And I, I'm glad people enjoy it because that means I get to do it next year. Dane, you mentioned this year's a little different, obviously the virtual draft and the cancellation of pro days. How, how is that going to affect teams in your mind as they go through this scouting process? And how do you think that might uh, affect what we see Thursday, Friday, and Saturday with the draft? Yeah, scouts and teams are, you know, they're creatures of habit. Uh, they like to do things their own way and the way it's always been done. And they'll, they'll tweak it every year, but 
they don't like the overhaul changes, and unfortunately, um, you know that was that's out of their control this year with uh, everything going on. I think the biggest thing that we're missing, not necessarily the pro days, but I think it's those thirty visits. Uh, you know, some teams were able to get in five, six, some even got in ten visits before the shutdown happened. Uh, but the chance to bring those guys to your facility, uh, not only get updated medicals done. But talk X's and O's, uh, learn about the, the person, not just the player, uh, have your have the players meet with all the coaches and the personnel staff and things like that. So that's an important piece of the evaluation pie that I think we just were missing this year. And from those of us on the outside looking in, uh, that was also a, a good way to understand the breadcrumbs where each team might be leaning uh, position wise and just specific players. So it's going to be interesting uh, draft weekend, how how this all plays out over a three day period, I think. You know, once Joe Burrow goes one, Chase Young goes two, I think we'll settle in and, you know, it'll still be 255 picks over three days and it'll be about the draft and not about kind of the weirdness of the situation. But uh, it'll just hopefully a little bit of normalcy will kind of return to our lives with the when the draft plays out. So John Elway had his pre-draft presser yesterday and he he mentioned how important uh prospects character is especially over the last few years he's he's had some really good classes um and he said a big part of that is looking at their maturity their track record of leadership who these guys are who will be in the locker room um without those visits are there other things teams will look at to kind of get a sense of who these guys are and I think that they're going to lean more and more on area scouts um, because they're they're the guys that have been on the road. They've been on these campuses. They've talked to the strength staff, the trainers, the janitor, whoever it takes to find out uh, just, uh, you know, these guys, uh, they work hard on practice. What are they doing behind the scenes? Um, are they guys that, uh, you know, complain about playing football every day or are they all about it? Um, there's no question Football character is paramount, uh, and you go back to a lot of the, the uh, first-round busts that we've seen, you dive in, and a lot of it is because of the lack of intangibles, uh, You know, guys that maybe didn't really love the game, and they were doing it just because they were always good at it, and it's a chance to make money, and, and for some guys, that, that that's okay, you know, it's a, it's a job, and uh, but a lot of these guys, they don't love it, and that shows uh, on Sundays when they're playing against top-level competition. So uh, I think it's important that you you understand where you know the mindset, and that's where scouts have to be. You know, they have to be talent evaluators, but they also have to be private investigators. They have to be psychologists, and a lot goes on those guys. And I was talking to one a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me how he he was loving this year because he gets to be at home uh, with his family instead of on the road at all these different pro days, a new uh, location every single day. And he, he feels a little more important this go around because the general manager and the team are uh, really focusing more on him. And, you know, everything that he got was in the report, but they're uh, following up more. And, you know, he just feels a little more important this process compared to past years. Dane, when you look at the Broncos, I think everybody is of the mindset that they need a receiver early in this draft. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Looking at the Beast, you've got four guys with first-round grades, um, six if you include guys who have first- or second-round grades. I- I'm interested to, to know from your perspective, I think the three guys that are most linked to the Broncos are C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs III. You have those guys one through three, uh, respectively, in-, in your Beast rankings. What 
made you go that route with those guys? Why did C.D. Lamb get the get the number one slot ahead of of Judy and Ruggs? And which one of those guys, when you look at the Broncos, do you think fits in best with what they need? Yeah, and I think you could make really make an argument for any one of those three. Um, I, maybe even one one of those four, Justin Jefferson. And I would I, I know the Broncos like Denzel Mims quite a bit too. So I would throw Denzel Mims in that mix. Um, and because I, I think each one offers something a little different. Uh, if you're looking for the uh, precise route runner who can uncover at will, you know that's Jerry Judy, and you think that would be a perfect complement to. Cortland Sutton, but maybe they're looking for uh, more size on the outside. So maybe it's not just someone that will complement Cortland Sutton, but maybe another guy that has size, that has those catch point skills, and that'd be C.D. Lamb. Uh, you know, Denzel Mims has the speed, the length, uh, terrific athlete, and you think he's going to get better and better as a route runner. And Henry Ruggs is just a freak athlete. Uh, there's no Tyree Kill in this draft, but he might be the closest thing to that. And so, I, I, I mean, I could really make an argument why each one of these receivers should be the pick uh, if they were all available and why uh, they should be the first receiver drafted. Uh, it's really a, a loaded class. I don't think we have necessarily a Julio Jones in this group, uh, Calvin Johnson, you know, one of those receivers that are going to go top five. Uh, we might not have a receiver go top 10 this year, but in the teens, that's where we're going to see that run. And I think it's going to be really interesting. I, you know, my my spies in Denver tell me that the the Broncos have done plenty of legwork on possible trades, um, and that's and that's not uncommon. That's what every team does this time of year. Uh, you know, so you're laying the groundwork for possible trades. So you know, you're not trying to throw things together on draft night. You you kind of lay the groundwork, possible compensation. If player A is here, that's when we're going to be interested. And um, you know, if if the Broncos would want to move up ahead of you know, say the Raiders at 12 uh, to make sure that they get uh, you know the receiver they want and I'm, I'm not necessarily on board with that philosophy just because I think the talent in this receiver class is silly and you can get a really good receiver at 15 or even if you did wait until the second round but I understand you know just playing devil's advocate I understand uh, the thinking because if you see a receiver in this class that you think is better than the rest and for, you know, whether it is Jerry Judy or C.D. Lamb, um, you know, I can understand, uh, you know, making that move to go up and get them, you know, maybe trading up with Cleveland at 10. You know, the Browns are trying to get out of that pick. So I think it's going to be really interesting once we uh, get to it's going to be interested in the top 10. But especially when we get to those early teens to see if we see a little bit of movement with uh, with the Broncos, I think the Falcons are ready to pounce. Uh, there's there's going to be some movement there, and it should be interesting to see how it plays out. You mentioned Denzel Mims. Is he a guy the Broncos would likely have to take at 15 if they really wanted him, or, or could they move back to like 19, 20 range and still be able to pick him up, you think? I think they could move back, if I, and I, I think that's a fair point that, um, you know, if, if say – uh, we see a run on these guys. They don't like the trade-up option. So, uh, you know, we have uh, C.D. Lamb going 12 to the Raiders and Ruggs going uh, 13 to to the Niners, and we have a trade-up or something at 14, and Jerry Judy goes, okay, well, all of a sudden, 
maybe that's where we do see a trade back opportunity. And I think Mims is he's somewhere in that back half of of round one. Um, that that's where a lot of the feedback is. Uh, teams really like Justin Jefferson. I think he might be that next receiver off the board. Philly uh, really likes him. Uh, but when you get to the Vikings, uh, you get to the the Packers. Uh, there are several teams in the back half of round one who are looking at Ayuk and Denzel Mims could be options there. So I, I wouldn't necessarily think that they would have to take him at 15, but in a trade back scenario, I think that would be maybe the player they could be targeting. The Broncos also need a cornerback, um, and I know that's probably pretty high on their priority list heading into this draft. I mean, they got A.J. Bouye. Bryce Callahan hasn't played in a year and a half. Um, are, are there guys that might be available in the first two days? I would imagine you know the top four guys or so would be gone in the first, pretty early in the first. But are there guys after that you think could be available and you know would fit? Uh, Vic system. Yeah, and this corner class is really interesting. The receiver class obviously gets most of the attention, um, but I do think the corner could be the second uh, strongest position that this draft has to offer. Uh, not only at the top where Jeff Okuda, CJ Henderson, I think are going to be top 10 guys, but it also stretches out a little bit. And there's a lot of differing opinions about how that, that next tier is going to play out. Uh, some teams really like Trevon Diggs from Alabama. Some really like A.J. Terrell from Clemson. Uh, there's a, just a lot of differing opinions about the order they should come off the board. Uh, there's some uh, Noah Igbenogany from Auburn. Some fans uh, or some fans around the league believe he could sneak into the first round. Uh, Jeff Gladney from TCU. He's my third-ranked corner uh, dealing with a little knee issue right now. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, teams love him, but he could slip to the second round. That wouldn't be a surprise. So I think there's a lot of names in that next tier who uh, it's going to stretch out and we might see eight, maybe nine guys go in the top 50, top 60 picks at the cornerback position. So I I do think that if the Broncos don't go corner in the first, I I do think in the second, there will be someone that they would potentially uh, like to add to that defense, whether it's Christian Fulton or maybe a Damon Arnett from Ohio State, a guy that can play inside, can play outside, uh, is well-versed in different schemes. So uh, I do think the uh, the Broncos will have options. So wide receiver, corner, and offensive line seem to be like the three biggest needs for this team. What do you like about this offensive line class? It seems like the top four tackles will probably be gone by 15. Um, but are there, are there guys either on the outside or on the inside that you feel like the Broncos – could get maybe in day two who could come in and be uh, or have an immediate impact on this team? Yeah, this tackle class, it's very top-heavy, extremely top-heavy. We're going to see maybe eight offensive tackles in the top 40 picks. Uh, We're going to see those four, uh, Wills, Wirfs, Becton, and Thomas. We'll see those guys off the board somewhere probably in the top 14 picks. And then the next four with Austin Jackson, Ezra Cleveland, uh, Isaiah Wilson, and Josh Jones – uh, they probably round out the back half of round one and uh, maybe one, maybe two would fall to the early second, but they should be uh, snatched up there pretty quick. So uh, then there's a little bit of a drop off. And, you know, there's you like uh, a guy like Prince Tegawanogo or uh, Matt Parrott from UConn or, you know, there's a lot of these guys that you like, but there's also a reason why they're going to be available in the second, third, uh, maybe even to the fourth round. Uh, and, you know, there's something missing from their profile that, 
uh, you worry about a little bit. And that's why I think we're going to see these tackles go especially early uh, is because the teams know that there's uh, a big drop-off in terms of overall depth at the position. So uh, and it, at the interior, it's a little bit of the opposite where we might not see, you know, maybe a Cesar uh, Ruiz uh, from Michigan will go in the first round. But overall, the interior class uh, is really going to pick up uh, once you get into the outside the top 50 picks. Uh, you get to the late second and then into the third, fourth round. That's where we're going to see uh, mo- most of the guards uh, and centers uh, where they're going to be drafted. So it's an interesting group, um, and we're going to see a lot of teams maybe opt for tackle over another position just because they know you know we can get our receiver later we can get our corner on day two but tackle if we don't get our guy now we're really limiting our options on day two does having a guy like Mike Munchak coach the offensive line does that give him any sort of flexibility there I mean do teams that have coaches similar to him do they ever say well we can wait a little bit later because he has you know, he, he has this track record of developing unlikely players into pro bowlers, basically. He can make anybody good. Um, do teams think like that, or is it we'd, we'd rather get our guy if we're going to take one? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a little bit of both. And I think, but this year is a little different because uh, we don't have, you know, you're not able to send Mike Munchak to uh, Tuscaloosa to work out Jedrick Wills or, you know, send him to Houston to work out uh, Josh Jones. And I think that that one-on-one, those workouts are so big, uh, especially for offensive line. Um, you know, Jedrick Wills is a great example, a guy who, in my opinion, is the best tackle in this draft. But we have never seen him play left tackle. He was a right tackle only at, at, at Alabama and in high school. Uh, now, context is he was protecting to his blind side, so you understand why. And there are uh, several uh, at uh, Alabama who believe he could play left tackle. And I think I, I believe that as well, just breaking down his skill set and his talent. But we don't have the tangible proof. Uh, but that's something where you can send your coaches to do these personal workouts and you know line them up in a uh, left tackle stance and see how he moves uh, with uh, just the, the different muscle memory and things like that. And that can be something that really helps. And when you have an offensive line coach who you trust and you believe in, uh, sending him to these different, you know, that's where the scouts are going to say, okay, we believe you know these three or four offensive linemen really fit or a scheme, okay, then that's when you send your offensive line coach to go work them out one-on-one. And that's where you can really develop those bonds and you can have your coaches get that one-on-one experience and understand what, uh, you know, up close and personal, what they do best and, you know, what's going to fit best in your scheme. So this year it's a little tougher. Um, I, I do think that with uh, a guy's ex- experience as Munchak, uh, you're obviously in a much better scenario as opposed to uh, someone who's not as experienced. But it, it is just, it's very tough in this class because the tackle group, it does thin out. Hey, Dane, one guy I know a lot of people, um, you know, in our kind of listening area are interested in is LaVisca Chenault. Obviously played college ball at Colorado. Um, I think there's a lot of Colorado and Bronco fans and the connection there is, is pretty obvious. What do you make of LaVisca Chenault coming out? And obviously he's had the injury concerns. How do you think that will affect him and his, his draft status? And where do you expect him to go in this draft? I think he's got a big discount sticker uh, on his draft uh, uh, grade right now because, because of the injuries and it's something where, uh, coming into the year, he was my number one ranked receiver. Uh, in the summer, my first draft board was Chenault, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy. Those are the top three. And uh, you know, Chenault obviously fell from that group, uh, but it's mostly because of uh, just reliability and being able to stay on the football field. A guy that's 6'1", 227, built the way that he is, a very good athlete, 
his instincts when the ball is in his hands that that it's fun to watch him do work um and that that's where i think he really shines but that also puts a lot more strain on his body because he's taking a lot more hits. And so, you know, he's not a true burner. He's not a guy uh, that is a, a polished route runner right now. But you just you find ways to get the ball in his hands and let him create. I, I, he he makes it really tough on defenders to finish him uh, in space uh, because he has the toughness. Uh, he has some elusiveness, elusiveness to him. And so someone, I, I think in the late second, maybe even the third, it's, it's possible, uh, is going to get a tremendous discount on LaVisca Chenault, who's a first-round ta- talent all day. But because of the, the medical concerns, he might slip a little bit, especially in a draft class like this where receiver is just so stacked. Are, are you saying that teams shouldn't worry about his injury history? Uh, teams have to trust their medical staff. I mean, they just do. Uh, it, it is part of, and that's something that those of us on the outside, it, it's all secondhand information. Um, you know, same thing with Tua and trying to figure out where he's going to land. Uh, you know, teams have to uh, look, take what the medical staff gives them. Uh, you know, a lot of teams will do grades one, two, three, four, five. If a team puts a number four on Chenault as a GM, you can't really draft him because if, if it's a four or a five. That's not good. If it's a one, two, or three, then okay, you, you're it's it's worth taking the chance. And so GMs have to listen to their medical staffs. Uh, you know, there's a reason they get paid to do what they do, and it, it makes it tough because you do all this work on a player, but then you just cross your fingers that the medical staff's going to come back with a grade that you can actually uh, draft the player. So hopefully, Chenault has at least a three uh, if they're using that grading system because then teams will be able to, to draft him uh, you know, more towards where he should be drafted and not uh, into the third round. One last question for you, Dana, and then we'll let you go. Um, but are there guys projected to go later in the draft that you think could be true steals? And I kind of hate using that term for guys that are, you know, we're invited to the combine because, you know, they're they're – talent and value is obviously known, but are there guys that maybe, you know, most people are overlooking that could be, you know, valuable additions to any roster? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that even guys that work combine invites, you know, like a James Prochet from SMU, he's going to get lost in this receiver class, but he's got the best ball skills. Uh, It's just fun watching him play inside, outside. He can do that. Um, I think the first uh, non-combine prospect to get drafted, I think is probably going to be Kevin Dotson from Louisiana. Uh, His teammate, uh, Robert Hunt, is going to get drafted probably somewhere in the top 50, top 60 picks. And then Kevin Dotson, he's not going to be too far after him somewhere early on day three. Uh, Really fun player. He's an All-American this past year. Uh, Big boy, 6'4", 310 pounds, but he moves really well. I think he's going to be a plug-and-play guard and someone that is going to push to be a long-time starter and uh, end up outplaying where he was drafted. But it's tough for these non-combine guys because of the medicals. And that's where, uh, you know, we usually see about 35 non-combine guys get drafted every year. And most of those guys, I would say like 95% of them, were 30 visits to a team because that way you're able to get the medical information. This year, without a lot of those 30 visits, teams aren't able to get the updated medicals on these non-combine players, and that makes it really tough to, to draft them. If, if It's hard to draft a player when you just don't know what's going on with his knee, with his shoulder, and everything that they've been put through the last four or five years uh, at, at the college level. So uh, it's really puts, puts these guys at a disadvantage, uh, unfortunately, um, and 
you know, they a lot of these guys are do, using independent doctors, but teams are very weary of, you know, quote unquote, independent doctors. And, you know, is it the same stuff we'd be looking for and uh, things like that? So, you know, it's, it's going to be tough for these non-combine guys. We probably have closer to single digit non-combine guys drafted compared to the 35 we usually have every year. But uh, Dotson from Louisiana, definitely uh, one of the guys who I think could be drafted in the mid-rounds. I loved your description of him in your draft guide that he moves defenders around like a pissed-off club bouncer. I was sold immediately on that. <laughs> <laughs> that that's what he is. That's how he, that's how he plays. Uh, yeah, power and a guy that never looks content. And so, yeah, he, he I can just picture him with some shades on, a, a, a schmedium bl- uh, black t-shirt, and just kind of looking for someone to uh, to bounce around there. That's great. Well, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for joining us, Dane. We really appreciate it. Of course. Anytime, guys. Great conversation there with Dane, and obviously appreciate him taking some time to, uh, to talk with us. I know he's been busy getting ready for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, Nikki, I tend to think that Henry Ruggs III is the guy. That's that's kind of where I've been on. Uh, Dane had him there in some of his mock drafts. I think now he has Jerry Judy there. Uh, I think it's one of the two receivers from Alabama for the Broncos. What are your thoughts? I agree with you on one of the two receivers from Alabama. I think it's the other one, though. I think it's Jerry Judy. <laughs> I, I, I could totally see the 49ers taking Henry Ruggs to add some speed to their offense. Um I like Jerry Judy. He's he's my favorite receiver in this draft. I mean, C.D. Lamb is a heck of a player, too. I mean, it's, can argue it's neck and neck. And I'm by no means a receiving expert to really distinguish between the two um, in terms of, you know, minute details. But I, I just love the way Judy plays. He's so smooth, the way he creates separation. I mean, he, to me, is like the Allen Iverson of college football, just his ability to break ankles, you know, with his route running. Um, and I just think him and Cortland Sutton would be really fun to watch. So I'm going with Judy at 15. Um, the bottom line is I feel like if they get one of those two guys, everybody's going to be happy. They'll be fine. They'll be right. fine. I mean, they could even wait to the second round to get a receiver. And I feel like they could get a starter quality guy there. And I don't hate that idea. I really mm-hmm. don't. I mean, in, in my mind, if they could get a wide receiver in one of the two – two rounds. Uh, if if one of the tackles falls, which I don't think they will, I think you go you go tackle at, yeah. at 15, right? You got yeah. four guys up there. If one of them falls, in, in an ideal world, if that doesn't happen, you get one of the Alabama receivers at 15. And then second round, I think you're going inside linemen, um, whether it's Cushenberry mm-hmm. or I, I think that there's so many – there, there's so many holes on this team is basically what I it comes yeah, down no, it really to. Is. Yeah. That I think that that would, would kind of be ideal. Um, and, and I think everybody could be really happy with that. And you make the, the, the issues that you needed to address, you address those issues. Yeah. I mean, everybody's looking at offense too. If they took a receiver in the second round, I wouldn't be upset if they took a corner in the first. Um, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a deep group and, you know, with, Gronk's Gronk joining the Bucks now. I mean, you look at the Broncos' home slate, and, and they really got to beef up that defense. I mean, yeah. they could get mauled. Um, and that has been the bugaboo of their defense, right? Yeah. Their inability to cover yeah. tight ends. I mean, how many yeah. times have we talked about that? Yeah. You know, you feel good about their defensive line. You feel good about their outside linebackers. Inside linebackers, questionable, mm-hmm. especially in the coverage area. And if they could add another cornerback, because like you said, you don't, you still don't know what you're going to get with Bryce Callahan. Yeah. Yeah, they need another corner. 
Um, you know, if Kenneth Murray is there, heck, I, I, I'd take him. I'd be happy with that at 15. Um, they have options. They, like you said, though, they have a lot of holes to fill. Um, 10 picks. I wouldn't be surprised if they add to that or, you know, make a couple deals in the middle rounds. Um, I I mean, John Elway is always pretty active during the draft. Yeah. I do wonder if he makes any of the current guys expendable. Like, could Philip Lindsay get moved? I would be shocked. I think it's a huge risk given Melvin Gordon's injury history. He hasn't played a full season. It's a huge risk, but you do wonder. Well, I think you could get a lot for Philip Lindsay. I think more likely would maybe be Royce Freeman and throw him in on a deal with, with some picks. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like if somebody mm-hmm. needs a running back, because Royce is the odd man out in that room. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, if you're trading Philip for anything less than a third, I think you're getting, you're getting, Oh yeah, you shouldn't. That. Yeah. Yeah. D- yeah. Two time thousand yard rusher. No, should yeah. not be anything less. Um, but so I do, I'm with you. I do think John Elway will be active in the later rounds. Like we've seen before. Let me ask you this. Somebody, I was doing an interview the other day and somebody asked me, would you consider the Broncos trading out of the 15th pick and trading back? And to me, that's the one scenario where I did not like the Broncos options there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if you're sitting at 15, Chances are you're still going to get a really good player, somebody who can come in and have an impact right away. I don't hate the idea of them trading up. I don't hate mm-hmm. the idea of them staying at 15, but I'm not in love with the idea of them trying to trade back right now just because they have so many holes. What are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? I I would love it, actually. I'm against trading up if it's for a receiver. We, you know, With a deep class, giving up extra draft capital when you could still get a really good guy at 15 or later doesn't make sense. Trading back, if they could get another second or third round pick, heck yeah, I would take it. Um, I could see them trading back and get a guy like Denzel Mims. I know they really do like him. Um, and that that scenario has kind of been discussed. I mean, a lot of scenarios have been discussed, but they really do like him. So if you get a receiver like that and you pick up another pick, I'd be all for it. I kind of... I don't know if I'm allowed to reveal all this, but we had a, a writer's <laughs> mock ahead. draft. I'm going with it. We had a writer's mock draft at the Athletic, and I made some bold moves and ended up with two first-round picks. I'm very proud of myself there. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I mean, is, that, what if the, is that published yet? I mean, have you gotten calls from agents trying to get you GM jobs? They have not. They may soon, though, you know. I'm still the athletics employee, but who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah, I mean, who's to say that couldn't happen? You know, jump back yeah. in and later in the first round, that, they got three-thirds, you know. Right. That, to me, is probably more likely is them jumping back in mm-hmm. late first round and and getting a wide receiver and an offensive lineman or, or maybe a corner mm-hmm. um, late first. I think that would be mm-hmm. a great, great. Steel yeah, you get a them. you get a receiver and you get Cesar Ruiz at center. Heck yeah! Right. Or you know Trevon Diggs and a receiver. Mm-hmm. I would totally take it. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be really fun to see how the draft plays out, especially from the virtual perspective, and then what the Broncos do because you get the feeling, given Elway's past history, they're gonna be active. Yeah. Um, and whether that's the first round or on day two, like we talked about, I think they're going to be in for. For something, it's just a question of what. And and I think that's going to be a really, really exciting time this weekend. Yep. 
But stay tuned. We'll keep you guys all covered throughout the draft. Um, we are running a new deal currently. Go to theathletic.com slash milehighmagic and you can get 40% off a new subscription, a one-year subscription. So check that out, and I'm sure we'll be touching base throughout the draft, right? Yeah, we're going to have a ton of great stuff for you on The Athletic throughout the draft. Obviously, uh, Nikki's written work, and then in terms of a podcast, we'll uh, have an immediate podcast right after the first pick is made, kind of break down what the Broncos did and uh, get you set for for Friday and Saturday. And then on Monday, uh, we'll be dropping a big entire recap of the draft. Um, So for everything that you need, make sure you keep it right here to Mile High Magic and on The Athletic. That is going to do it for us. For my partner, Nikki Javala, I'm Michael Spencer. Another big shout out and appreciation to Dane Brugler for joining us uh, during our podcast today. And of course, thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, review, tell all your friends about it. And we uh, look forward to talking to you guys throughout the draft.